Welcome to Westgate, where relationships matter most. Jesus was once asked to define life's greatest priority, and he answered by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's the simple priority of Westgate. We're trying to love God with all we have and demonstrate that kind of love to others. We'd love for you to join us on this exciting journey of making relationships matter most. He will hold me had someone interrupt your dinner? Let me tell you about an experience that my wife and I had a number of years ago early in our marriage. We were invited by some friends to go out to a very nice restaurant in Houston. It was a seafood buffet and it was a lot of money. I bet it was maybe $20 a plate which sounded astronomical to us as a young couple. So we get there and man there is more seafood than you can imagine and I love shrimp. So one of the things I went to was this big pile of shrimp with ice all around it and loaded up my plate, went back and began to peel those shrimp and dip them in the cocktail, shrimp cocktail sauce and was eating away. About halfway through the meal, I found a roach in the middle of the shrimp. That'll interrupt your meal. It interrupted the meal of everybody at the table and the server came over and sure enough, there was the roach and the good news was that the meal was free because of that. So I've been carrying a little rubber roach in my pocket ever since. Not really. Well, today in John chapter 13, we come to the interruption of a dinner meal in which John is talking about the Passover meal 
We know it as the last supper that Jesus shared with his disciples. And we're going to see that in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. It is a dinner interruption that is far more significant than finding roach in the middle of your shrimp. It's more captivating because we see Jesus responding to his disciples in such a remarkable way. It's a dinner interruption that reveals the power of a towel. Let me rehearse the situation and the story so that we'll have a better understanding of what we talk about in, in just a minute. We are in the closing hours of Jesus' life on earth. This is Thursday night. He'll be crucified the next morning. He's spending time with his disciples. And, and John is going to spend an inordinate amount of time talking about this very brief season that Jesus has with his disciples. He'll spend the next five chapters just with the disciples during these hours and what happens. This particular experience, Jesus has called his disciples together for the observance of the Passover. They've come together and we know from the other gospels that they were having a conversation about which one was the greatest. Now we know that Peter and John, reading back in the gospel of Luke, that Peter and John had been sent ahead to try to get everything set up for the Passover meal. And so maybe they started the conversation. Hey, we're the, we're the two that were sent to set this thing up. Obviously, we're in the running to be number one and two among the disciples. And the others may have gotten wind of that. And a conversation is beginning as to who is the greatest. So in the middle of the meal, a dinner interruption, Jesus gets up from the Passover meal, takes off his outer cloak, girds himself with a towel, pours a basin and begins to wash the feet of the disciples. We look at that and we need to understand the, the historical context there. Jews wouldn't even allow a fellow Jew to wash the feet of anyone in the household. That was a sign to a Gentile. It was the most menial task any servant could have. Remember, times were much different than times we live in today. They would be walking through the, the filthy streets and Jesus got down and began to wash their feet. We don't know exactly when Peter factored into the equation, but whenever Jesus got to Peter, Peter said, not having it, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, then you don't have any part of me. Peter, he's always going from one extreme to the other. Then he said, well, then, then wash my whole body from head to toe. And Jesus said, calm down, Peter. All I'm doing is washing your feet. If the rest of you is clean, you're clean. It's a spiritual truth saying, you believe in me. You've had your bath spiritually, but you have to come back from time to time and clean off the dirt of your feet, the sin that starts collecting in your life. Confess it and come clean with God. Jesus finishes with all of the disciples washing their feet and then he sits down and he asks them this very important question. Do you understand what I've just done? And you can imagine, they're like deer in the headlights. I mean, they're looking at each other like, how do we even answer that question? And Jesus explains to them, what I've done for you is an example of what you were to do for one another. No servant is greater than his master. Jesus said, you call me Lord, and that's true. 
So if I have done this for you as your master and Lord, you are to do that for one another. And then he closes out this section of scripture by saying, blessed are you if you do what you now know, to humbly serve others. John chapter 13 verses 1 through 17 is a dinner interruption that reveals the power of a towel. John wants us to be interrupted. That's why we're calling this series The Great Interruption. He's trying to get our attention. Why? Because he knows that we all have a tendency to let our attention drift. I was a daydreamer in school. I was always looking out the window thinking about something else and from time to time, the teacher would have to reel me back in. God has to do the same with us. He wants us to have his undivided attention. We all have tendencies to be a little bit oblivious, but in the pandemic, oblivion has gone to a completely different strata. Let me tell you about an intern named Jackie, working in Washington, D.C. Back when the pandemic began, she on a lark decided that she would wear a bright Hawaiian shirt to their first Zoom meeting on April the 2nd, 2020. She thought people would notice, but they didn't. So she decided to wear it to the next Zoom meeting and nobody seemed to notice. So then it became somewhat of a social experiment for her and she wore it for the next 264 Zoom meetings until she left that company on June 16th, 2021. Over a year of wearing the same shirt to every Zoom meeting and nobody noticed. She explained to reporters, when I told my team that I had been wearing the same shirt, they didn't know what I was talking about. They hadn't noticed. John knows that. He knows it's possible for us to go to church regularly to even read the Bible consistently, yet somehow be oblivious to what God is trying to communicate to us. And so in this particular chapter, he reminds us of this great interruption that teaches us about real power. Why? Because we have such confusion about that. We go back and look at the very opening statement here in John chapter 13, verses, in verse 1. It says that Jesus beginning of the Passover meal, said that he had loved them to the very end. This is John reflecting back six decades later. And when he looks back on that experience, he says, Jesus loved us to the very end. He's not speaking chronologically. In the original language, that means to be loved completely. And that's such great news for us today. 2,000 years later, that God loves us completely. Not just parts of us, you know, sometimes we think, well, God might like that about me, but not that. But the Bible tells us God loves us completely. And so let's take a look at how Jesus demonstrates his love for us. Look at this confusion of power. It says that while the meal was in progress, notice what it says here. Jesus then said that he understood, John relating all of this, he said, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist and washed the disciples' feet. What would you do 
If you had been given all the power in the world, Jesus had been given all authority and power in the entire universe. Isn't it strange that he's given all authority and so he takes off his outer garment and washes the feet of the disciples. Could you imagine seeing something like that? Imagine watching a, a presidential inauguration and the president gives a, just an incredible inaugural address. And then when he finishes, he turns around to the distinguished guests that are there and begins to wash their feet. We're not used to seeing that. Truthfully, we're used to seeing superiors berate insubordinates because they want them to do what they want done. It says in Matthew chapter 11, 29, it's the only place in scripture that Jesus describes himself. All through scripture, we know that others are describing who Jesus is, but in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus describes himself as one who is humble in heart. It means that he is humble to the very core. We have this confusion over power, believing that if you have power, then you, you use that and you leverage that against other people. And here Jesus says, when you understand that you have power, you use it to serve other people. We also see that confusion about power with Peter's response. Notice what Peter says in verse eight, when Jesus comes to wash his feet, he says, no way. The way it's written in the original language, no, never, you will never, ever, ever wash my feet, is what Peter was saying. Why was Peter doing that? Did he have ticklish feet? Well, I don't think so. I remember about six or seven years ago, my wife and I ran off to a, a quick vacation out in Arizona. We just thought we need to get away for a few days, get a cheap flight, go out there. We like being out in the deserts where I grew up. And so while we're out there away from anybody that we know, my wife says that she wanted to go get a pedicure. She says, why don't you go with me? Well, you just need to know, I hate people touching my feet. I was that athlete that always made sure my socks were on just right before any game. I don't like people messing with my feet, but I thought, you know what? I'm gonna play around with my wife. I'll go and get a pedicure. Nobody will know or see. So it was my one and only pedicure. I'm sitting down there and this lady starts messing with my feet and it is not comfortable. And then all of a sudden she pulls out this cheese grater looking thing and she starts rubbing on my foot and it is tickling like crazy. Well, she's talking to her colleague in a different language and I'm saying, you, you, you don't need to do that. And she's like, she doesn't even understand me. And I, I said, please don't do that. I'll pay you still the just same price, but don't do that. And she kept on going. I said, I will pay you more if you will stop. It is tickling my feet. She turned to me and she laughed and she says, I know. And she kept on going. Well, this is not a situation in which Peter is saying, don't touch my feet because my feet are ticklish. No, it's more about pride. Peter is saying, you know, all these other guys, these low lowlifes that you've invited to follow you, these other disciples, I'm not like them. They let you wash their feet, but I'm not going to stoop that low. And then Jesus reminds him that if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part of me. And then Peter, like we said earlier, he goes to the other extreme, then, then wash all of me. You know, sometimes pride gets in our way in which we feel so self-sufficient that we are not gonna lean upon Christ. We are helpless and hopeless without Christ, but with him, we are self safe and secure. 
So another example of confusion over power, because power is so confusing, especially in our culture, but among humanity all through the millennia. A confusion with power again is seen in chapter 13, verse 12. When Jesus had finished, he asked the disciples, do you guys understand what I've done for you? And it's a, it is a pop quiz in which nobody has the answer. It feels like a, a trick question. They're all waiting for someone else to respond. They're probably looking down at their, at their newly washed feet. You know how the people do that. They look down when they don't want to answer a question. How in the world do we answer that? What was Jesus doing? What do we understand about this experience? He was giving an example of his work demonstrating what he was doing for the world. It's a picture of Jesus' life and ministry. He was in heaven and he took off his cloak of being glorified in heaven to come down to earth and to live as a servant. Remember Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And he stooped down and he washed the feet of those who were willing Remember, Peter had to be willing. And he washed his feet, demonstrating what Jesus would do for us to wash away our sins. And then he went and he put his cloak back on and sat down in his seat of honor. Just as after his ascension, he once again put on that cloak of highest honor in heaven and ascended to sit by the Father. It was an example of what Jesus did, but it's an also, it was also an example of what Jesus wants us to do. Christ-like servanthood is a necessary power. Look what it says down in verse 14 and 15. Jesus says that I have washed your feet, so you should wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do what I have done for you. It's an example of our work, what Jesus expects of us. And sometimes we say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I have a lot of ex expectations of what God is supposed to do for me. But did you know that God has expectations for us? Especially in Western culture, we, we, we struggle with that. We struggle with the concept of lordship. We want Jesus to do his thing, but don't expect me to do much. And Jesus says, yes, I do. I expect a lot. I expect your life to be transformed so that you become, Jesus says, more like me. Dallas Willard was a, a brilliant thinker, theologian, philosopher, and wrote a number of books about spiritual formation. In his book on divine conspiracy, he, he uses a helpful term called barcode faith. He cautioned against the contemporary idea that salvation is something like what a scanner picks up at the store. Our focus is you just need to be coded with forgiveness so that when you die, you'll be able to go to heaven. And transformation is kind of an afterthought, a, a secondary thought. The main concern is just make sure you, you get into heaven. Dallas Willard was much like Jesus in the brilliance of asking questions that make us think. And when he says that we have taken salvation and we've made it like a barcode just to make sure that you get scanned into heaven, he asks these questions. Can we believe that the essence of Christian faith and salvation 
covers nothing but death and after? Can we believe that being saved really has nothing whatever to do with the kinds of persons we are here on earth? It goes on to ask, have we somehow developed an understanding of commitment to Jesus Christ that does not break through to his living presence in our daily lives? And are we to suppose that God gives us nothing that really influences our character and spirituality? And we might initially push against that and say, well, wait a second, we have the doctrine of sanctification in which God is making us better and better each and every day, making us more like him. But truth be told, I think Dallas Willard was right. We can't deny the fact that obvious transformation, ongoing transformation in the lives of those who have been baptized is often absent. And Jesus is saying, I expect you to be different than the rest of the world. I expect you to serve one another. And then finally, we see in this passage of scripture that Christ-like servanthood is a blessed power. There's benefit when we do what Jesus said. Notice what he says in verse 17. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He didn't say you'll be blessed because you know them. He says you'll be blessed if you do them. Sometimes there's a sense that we're blessed because we know more about the Bible. But Jesus says you'll be blessed when you do what the Bible calls us to do. I remember experience similar to this. It's been almost three years ago since my dad passed away unexpectedly. He fell and broke his hip in the parking lot of a grocery store. He was able-bodied and fine up until that point, went through the hip surgery fine, made the repair. He was transferred over to the rehab facility for physical therapy. And that's when my wife and I went up there to try to help with the transition as our family was juggling the, the various parts, especially since my mom has Alzheimer's. Got to the physical therapy, dad seemed to be doing okay. And then on Labor Day weekend, actually it was Labor Day itself, he went into cardiac arrest at the physical therapy uh, unit was rushed back to the hospital. We spent the next few days in ICU and then the decision was made that he would not recover and that we were gonna take him home to be on hospice. So we were preparing all of that. I had spoken to my sister who was with him and we were strategizing how he would come to the home uh, the next day. And then all of a sudden I get a, a call from my wife. She says, we've got to go to the hospital right now. And I said, no, no, I, I just talked to my sister. Everything is fine. She says, no, you don't understand. We need to go to the hospital right now. I said, well, no, everything is okay. She says, no, you're not hearing me. Megan is having her baby. Our daughter lived in the Metroplex as well, where we were. And she was going into labor early with our second granddaughter. So we raced over to the hospital and made it just in time. And our second granddaughter was born on September the 7th. Then my dad died 27 hours later on September the 8th. While we brought him home for hospice, they told us that we would probably have maybe a week, several days for sure. We got him all situated and for some reason, I, I felt like God was impressing me to, to wash his feet. Well, I didn't wash it with water. It would be kind of messy and difficult. And so I did, I guess you could call it a, a Baptist foot washing. And so I put the sheet back and I 
got some, some hand cream that my wife had. And I began to, to rub it on his feet just as this, a way to honor him. You know, my dad and I didn't have the luxury of a close relationship. We were, we were kind of out of sync. We didn't, we didn't touch each other much. We, we learned to hug each other kind of like two ironing boards and, as adults. And I just felt like there's, this is a way that I can honor him. As I was weeping and doing all of this, just thinking about all of this, I look back now and realize that this passage of scripture is true. I am blessed for what I did. I could have thought about doing it and not doing it and I wouldn't have this memory that carries me today. And the other thing is, he was supposed to live several days. But not long after that, we went into the other room to take a break for dinner. And sure enough, the sitter came in and said, I think he's gone. We rushed into the living room and my dad had died. You know, what Jesus is reminding us here is that uh, you'll cherish those opportunities of serving others. And you won't always have the opportunity to do that. Our time on earth is fleeting and the opportunity to minister to others is fleeting. So seize the opportunity to be blessed and to be a blessing to other people. So let me close with this question. Does your life currently demonstrate the power of Christ-like servanthood? All of us could trace ourselves back to a story. That story is almost three years old about my dad. We can all share a story. Maybe it was 30 years ago. Maybe it was last year. Maybe it was last week. But let's ask the hard question. Does our life currently, right now, demonstrate the power of Christ-like servanthood? And the only way to access that power is to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. God loves you and he's created you to have a relationship with him. A relationship that will transform your life to be more like him. But unless we ask Christ to be our Lord and Savior, we will be forever separated from God because of our sin. That's why Jesus came to wash away our sins, just like he washed away the filth on the disciples' feet. You can be changed for all of eternity by humbly repenting of your sins and inviting Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, my friend, I hope that this will be the day that you'll call out to Christ and ask him to save you. Pray a prayer similar to this with me now. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have. And I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, we have been reminded through your example that you have great expectations of how our lives are to be lived, living in the service of others. God, we've also been reminded through this passage of scripture that there is limited time. So must we ask ourselves, am I currently demonstrating Christ-like servanthood? And I pray the answer for each of us will be yes. And if not, We'll seek to change that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love y'all. Thanks for listening.